Uh, I want to follow up a little bit on last week's Love is the Path as prep for what I want us to gear our hearts to expect at the conference next week. Um, you guys know for sure that, that, uh, that Dan says stuff like, uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross to get us into heaven. He died on the cross so heaven could get into us. And, uh, one of, one of his big lines is, uh, it's not just a matter of doing love, but being love and becoming love. And so as I was thinking about love being the path, I, I was asking the Lord, the path to what? You know, the path to what? And in a short, super short answer, it's the path to transformation. It's the path to the kingdom. It's the path to Christ-likeness, to being with him. And uh, so I was, I was thinking about that, and it was an unusual week to think about it because um, there were some disappointing things relative to church. Not this church, our church, but just the church as a whole. Uh, I was engaged in a couple of issues that, um, you know, didn't turn out like I wanted, didn't turn like out actually even like I thought God wanted. But you got to be careful in that because you can start trying to figure what God wants for everybody and end up being pretty judgmental or cranky about it. And uh, and so uh, anyway, I, I, it took me back to the question. What are, what are, what is this path of love for? And what, what can we expect to encounter on it? And it's easy to think what's for ministry, and that's true. Or it's, it's to, uh, um, just obey the Lord and do what he says, and that's true. But I really think the goal is more. I think the, the prize is greater. I think it has to do with, with us it's more central to the gospel than I, than I used to think. It has to do with us becoming engaged with and aligned with who God is and who he knows us to be and has destined us to be, but, but we, we don't generally go there. So I was, I was praying about it and I was talking with the Lord about it. And, uh, I said, God, what is it? What do I want to leave us to think about in the week in preparation to having a room full, have a molar here, having Catherine Toon here talking about being marked by love. Uh, what can we set our minds on in our hearts? And I had a bunch of uh, semi-complicated thoughts in my head when I was asking that question. And the Lord cut through it and spoke something pretty straightforward and direct. And so that's what I'm going to share with you tonight out of just a pretty simple passage of Scripture in First John. It was um, what he said was unconditional love. Okay, and he started talking about how his love was of necessity unconditional. And I started thinking about all the instances that I, I'm aware of, both historically and currently where Christian love can get conditional. And um, so I realized that the idea of unconditional love is is um, probably a big deal. But he went on to talk about it. I, maybe I should just glance at a, a couple of things he said. 
I'll read just a, a little bit from it. It said, unconditional love, the, a love that is not associated nor dependent on nor diminishing or enhanced by your particular circumstances or your reaction to those circumstances. Unwavering love, relentless love, steady love, freely given love, resistible by you, but love that is unmoved and undiminished by your resistance. Love that precedes. That was one that I thought was really interesting because too many times love is thought of as a reward or a reaction. And he was talking about his love, love that precedes, love that endures, love carries my nature and my attributes. And uh, he says, I am love. Therefore, my love is as consistent as I am. My love can be nothing less, nothing more transient, nothing more conditional than I am myself. All right, so that got my juices flowing. That was pretty interesting. And I started thinking about where love is talked about as the attribute of God in uh, 1 John chapter 4. And so I was thinking, okay, perfecting your love. And then 1 John 1, 4 is all about loving our brothers. So perfecting your love by loving your brothers, which seems like kind of a messy and inefficient way when I first thought about it. But I don't know. So here's, here's the scriptures that bracket this section. First uh, John 4, 7, and 8, and then down a little bit at the end of that section. So, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Is that a New American Standard? And then down at the end of that section, it kind of sums up this way, and it matches the beginning. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So first thing I want to say is, I, um, this brackets a section that actually then begins to talk about the how to love your brother and, and why it's a, a thing. And then the second thing is I was in a position where I... I was probably somewhat vulnerable to interpreting these as kind of a you should, you ought type of thing from the Lord. But very quickly, I realized that's not what he was trying to say. He was trying to just establish the boundaries of what this issue is about love, uh, the way, the path that, that he has set before us, the thing that he called the more excellent way. And the more excellent way is this one. So there's a couple parts here I want to emphasize. Everyone who loves is born of God. Now, if there, is a, if there is a potential variable that has massive potential for insecurity associated with it, it's how do we know we're born of God? How do we know we're in right standing with God? And, you know, I've pastored a lot of years, and I've been a Christian more years, and I've probably had as many conversations just when I wasn't pastoring was a Christian with friends and other family members and stuff that are so incredibly insecure, and it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Uh, I've had bouts of insecurity, and that astounds me because I know what I believe, and yet still emotions can rise up, and they can make you feel like, you know, what I do, or, Lord, where are you? What did I do wrong? And I, and I almost 
you know, so I was kind of encouraged uh, personally on, on those issues this week because I, I got into a little bit of that. And, um, and, and the Lord pointed out how quick I was to get out of it, which was kind of a, a neat thing for him to do, an encouraging thing. But not everybody lives that way, and not everybody has the benefit of being able to pull themselves out of, of questions about this. But look what it says, and look how, how simple. Everyone who loves is born of God. All right, now I would say, even though I know all of you pretty darn well, there's the possibility that we don't believe that. Because it seems too broad. It seems like there needs to be a more personal criteria with the Lord. There needs to be a prayer said or something. There needs to be a certain thing believed. But, I didn't write it, so we'll look at it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And the explanation given for that in that verse is because God is love. All right, so I went in this one verse from thinking and let my mind focus on the fact that, okay, God is love, and so I need to love my brother and all that kind of stuff, and that's all true. But is God love? And then is there other kinds of love that don't have anything to do with God? And to tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think there is. I think that there's kinds of love that people can receive and, and they can share and they can experience where they don't acknowledge God. But I don't think there's another source for love anywhere. And I'm open, and as the mic, to questions about that or thoughts. So then I started thinking, well, Lord, if, if, if love is the way, love is the path that is set before us, and there were no qualifications for that. Jesus only qualified it by himself, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I, I just I just said, Lord, I want you to just point to, I want you to show me. I want you to, you know, make this more real to me. I want to walk this path. And I don't want to be distracted by other things. So the kinds of other things that I've been distracted about much of my life is certain theological systems or expectations and things like that. Certain prayers have to be prayed. Certain beliefs have to be held. I remember reading on uh, uh, one famous pastor's website, uh, he had gotten tired of people asking him all the things, so he created a list. And if I remember correctly, it was either 7 or 11. And that's a big difference, I understand, so I'm not representing him very well. But it was 7 or 11 things that you have to believe to be saved. 7 or 11 was the two numbers. These are the things. If you, if you don't believe this one, you can't be saved because. If you don't believe this, you can't be saved because. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think so. I don't think that that's how God thinks about it. But I do know that love 
is more important than than I've ever seen it given in a systematic theology. It's more practical. And I'm a, I'm a, I love theology. But at some point, theology is how you look at something. Love can't just be looked at from the outside. It has to be engaged with. And that's what I think is happening here. And that's why I think this is kind of important as we look at it. And I don't know if I'm going to get the point across or not. Um, one of the situations that I was dealing with this week didn't seem like love was present. And um, I, was, I was praying that it would be and hoping that it would break through. Um, and so it kind of got me discouraged. And then when I saw this, I thought, huh, one temporary setback in a person's life, it doesn't stop love. It doesn't stop you. So it might not be present in a given situation, but I don't know that I can draw a lifelong conclusion for anybody out of that. Uh, the other one down here said this. It says, and this is a commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And that sent me over to these scriptures because God's love. I also tried experimenting with a new gizmo on the PowerPoint. I like it. It's cool. All right. Yeah, not bad, huh? Yeah. All right. So the emphasis of God is love and love is the path. Obviously, that means that God is the path and love is the way that God is engaged on that path. And we should expect to see wherever we can see God, we should expect to see love central to the representation of him or the introduction to him or the vision of him that we have or whatever. So here we go. Now, before the Feast of, uh, of Passover, this is uh, John 13, 1. Uh, do you want a question before I go to this? Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, before you get ahead uh-huh. on the on this one before, yeah. slide before. Uh-huh. So what would you say is uh, everyone who loves is is born of God and knows God. So born of God, how would you define that? Or are uh, you going to talk about that? Well, I, 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 I will, but we can talk about it. So when I drive in, there's a church in Divide that has a sign that says, ye must be born again. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I, I agree with them. <laughs> I agree with them. But... But I'm pretty sure, from God's point of view, the concept of, of uh, being born from him, born again, is bigger or broader anyway, and more intrinsic to, the, to life than that. I don't think it's as narrow religiously as I've thought it has been. And one of the things that reinforced that to me was when the Lord started talking to me about childness. And, and unless you uh, turn and become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. Then from there in Matthew, the Lord backed me up to where Jesus was talking about the born-again experience with, with Nicodemus and said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. And then unless you're born again. So that took born again, put it in another little framework that I was, wasn't totally sure about. Then I backed up to the beginning from John 3 to John 1. And it says uh, that as many as believe him, gave he the right to become the children of God. Those born not of will, not of the flesh, not of man, but of God. 
And so, I mean, you guys have, most of you have heard that teaching. We talked about it. So that made me think, okay, so there's something direct about, about our being born of God that was from God. It was something that he gave. It was something that he initiated or something. That also led me to, to answer a bunch of questions when I was talking about that childness thing with a bunch of guys. And, um, and, and when, when were we conceived and was God our father early on? And so coupled with one other scripture, I don't have as clear a conviction that the born again experience is just when we quote, accept Jesus. Um, I do think that that's part of it, but I think there is more going on that engenders our birth than just our response. So are you saying born of God and born again? Are you equating them or you're not? I'm saying they're more related than I used to think. What do you think? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, me neither. I, I just the phrase is a little different. So yeah. I that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. But but see, this is this is something I don't know how you guys learn. I mean, I kind of do because we, we're doing it together. But there's there's really direct things said in the scripture like this that we don't give very much credit to because we already have uh, a theological and a religious experience placeholder in our life about what born again is. So when this calls it into question, yeah, it does something. And it, I, I am going to talk about that, not the born again, but that general thing in just a little bit. Yeah, Richard. Well, just reading this, this passage here, everyone who loves, <clears throat> does that apply the mother that loves the child? Does that apply to the father that loves his wife? Does that apply to anybody that loves someone but does not have that relationship with God, so to speak, like the way I have it or the way we talk about it? The way we talk about it, yeah. Reading that, everyone who loves is born of God. I mean, that could could qualify. Okay, and so if I can rephrase what you're saying, if we didn't have the theological framework that defined what born again was, and this was the first section of scripture that somebody gave us, and we believed that it was from God, we would go around looking for people who love. Right. And, and we would think they knew God. Correct. Or we would, we would think that. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Now, one of the things that Papa has taught me is, is, is he talks about two kinds of love. There's God's love, which is unconditional, which you were talking about, brother. But there's also a fleshly love, and and what he explained it to me as: I'll love you if, I'll love you when, and it's not it's not a godly love; it's a conditional love, which isn't of Papa. Person Allen can give conditional love, and first of all, is it fair to call that love? But give conditional love, and not draw from God to do that. That can just come yeah. from the flesh. Yeah. And, 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 and the other thing is it's not really love at all. That's what, because he, I, was, I was vacuuming the floor one morning and there was the stuff going on in my life. And Papa just started talking to me, so I wrote it down. And that, that's what he said. He said there's two, there's a two types of love. There's a conditional love and there's the unconditional love. One's from me and you can get it from me and it flows through you. 
And the other one is is a fleshly love. I'll love you if I love you when, but it's not really love. But it's a, it's sort of a, yeah, it's it's a fleshly thing. That's with it. that helps. Hmm. That could explain some of the confusion that we experience. And I do. I I can tell you from the Greek that there's an instance. You know, we try to parse it out and say, well, that agape love is God's love, and there's other kinds of love or other kinds of love. Uh, uh, there's a couple of scriptures, at least one I know of. Uh, where agape, the word agape is used to say that the Pharisees love the praise of men. And so that's obviously, it, it can be something like that. I don't think just the word itself. So, yes, Richard. Well, I think that, um, I mean, you love a child. And my love for this child is birthed from nothing that they're doing. It's just that, whoa, I just love this mm-hmm. individual this baby that's in my arms. I believe that's a, I mean, if, if God is love, that love has to come from someplace. And it's got to be, so it's, so we've got, and, you know, according to John, we're all children of God. So there's a, there's some implant of God love within us mm-hmm. that has that potential to, to go beyond just the, this child that I see and experience the God love that has, that goes beyond anything that we would imagine. I would think so. I would think so. And that, that doesn't actually cause me to disagree with what you said, uh, Al, because there can be fake love. And, and I'm going to get Dave up here in just a second, uh, because he was talking about how love is applied to people love darkness. Men love darkness rather than light. So I, I'd, I'd be curious to see what that love is about. I don't know. That's interesting. I've looked at that word. Um, actually, I don't see Dave up there. Oh, there you are, Dave. All right, pop in here, Dave, and, and make your point for me. There is that type of love that the men love the darkness uh, rather than the light. And going back to what Richard says, I think that the mother's love for a child, that's intrinsic. I just think it's intrinsic to our nature to love our offspring. And maybe that's a part of our nature. But to go beyond that and to I love that when you were reading, you said that love precedes. That is, that explains it. Because if something if something precedes, then it's not based on anything but the person the love is coming from, and that and that's God. And so, yes. I, love being the path and us moving this way is. I, I just know that for a long time in my life, and still if I'm not careful, for, I can think of love as an entity that sort of exists on its own. And then it can take on good and bad qualities, and it, and then somehow God loves, and he loves, of course, better than I love. He loves in a big way. I n- never thought he, his love was as small as mine. But that isn't really what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that God is love, and he is light, and he is consuming fire, and he is spirit. And so I would never expect... So the, the point that, that, I, that I, I want us to at least be ready to try to grasp next week, I want us to listen for it and look for it, is are we being presented with a clearer picture of love that is God showing up in places? And so while it might be part of our nature, Dave, for a parent to love a child or a 
mom to love a newborn baby or a dad to love a newborn baby. Where did that come from? Actually, not where did it come from. Where does it come from? Where does that part of our nature come from? Does that come from our monkey ancestors? I don't think so. Does it come from the devil? Does he use love like that to distract people from being born again? I think that would be risky business on his part. I don't think he can generate that. And so I think that it's possible for us to underestimate the connection between love in many of its forms and God. Now, if it's a twisted, perverse form, maybe it, maybe it can be, maybe, maybe sin can twist something like that that much. But is it really fair to call, uh, those kind of controlling things like you were talking about, Alan, is that really fair to call those the same thing that we're calling love for God? Yeah. Kim. I like this scripture and, you know, whoever loves, loves God, loves them, you know, and accepts them. But I'm thinking for one thing, you know, love is a very watered down word. You know, I love peanut butter. It can be. Yeah. I love be. puppies. You know, I love my wife, you know, and it, it's not all in the same category. And like some of the people already brought up, love and family is is natural, but there are people in people's family that they don't love and probably they hate them because they've abused them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know forgiveness comes into that. But the point is, is love conditional that way? Uh, are we to love everybody no matter what before love by God is? What if, what if I was to reframe your question just a little tiny bit? And say, are we to love everybody? That's what you ask. Mm -hmm. Can we love everybody? Instead of are we to? Because yeah. are we to makes it sound like a, a duty or a law. Yeah. Can we sounds like an empowering ability. Well, can we? <laughs> Let so, me ask, can we? Can we? Yeah. So uh, th then I see, this is why I think thinking of love independent of God stirs up confusion and trouble. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not picking on the question. I, I just think yeah. we do it all the time. We see love as something that's like a goal, or then it becomes a religious ideal. Or even we read First Corinthians thirteen, like we've got mm -hmm. at the end of the thing here. We talked about last week. We see that as a list of things that we have to somehow manufacture and do. Mm -hmm. And we hope that God's going to give us the, the spiritual gifts and the grace to do it. Yeah. So then, all of a sudden, patience instead of being a manifestation of love that it comes from God becomes a spiritual gift that He gives us, so that we can actually fulfill the list that He gave us. And we never even associate it with Him. And that's all I'm trying to say is I think the scripture is trying to say love comes from God. Mm -hmm. And because he is love, he is right. love. And so the reason that, that so I, I can't look at you and me or some really ugly person, uh, ugly behaving person as a source to answer the question, can we love? Mm -hmm. Because there's a million reasons why we might not be able to, yeah. you know, distortion, deception, damage to ourselves. But so where do we look to answer that question? Yeah. You have to look to God. So can God love everybody? I think I believe God can. <laughs> I think he can. The question is, can we? I, I, I think he can. But I think he can, and it's even a more fundamental question than the one you asked, because yeah. it's possible, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's possible that you and I could still be talking about love is if it were something that was external to God, like an attribute or a skill. Yeah. But what the scripture says is that I am 
love. Yeah. I am love. Therefore, when the most obnoxious situation is created by the most damaged part of something on the other person, yeah. I can't stop being love. Right. So how's love going to look in that situation is more the question. Yeah. You know, like uh, when we were struggling to try to, when, when I was trying to make us understand years ago that God's more loving than we think, I was getting to the place where, well, God can't even have a harsh thought, can't even have a harsh moment, you know? And then we were, if you remember, we were talking about the children of Israel uh, on the east side of Jordan, and uh, <laughs> and God said, hey, you have to let me be mad at him. I said I was mad at him for four years. But look how I treated him while I was angry. I fed him every day. I protected him by day, by night. I made their clothes not wear out, you know, and I kept presenting myself to him. I kept presenting myself to him. So the answer is, is uh, I think the answer in eliminating a little bit of the confusion that's possible is to go back more central to who God is and say, okay, Lord, I don't obviously fully understand what it's like to be a person who not only can love, but is love. Because like this week, I proved I wasn't a person who is love. Because I, I took unloving attitudes. Now, I didn't stay with him for long, and praise God for conviction. But, but God's different. And he passing, he's on this path, he's passing that to us. I think another aspect to look at is, what does love look like? Uh, today, I was uh, replacing a stove in one of my apartments for a tenant. And um, I was kind of irritated because I'm going to, I got to load up the old one, take it to the junkyard and do all that stuff. Just getting the other stove in and so forth was one hassle, but then having the, and out of nowhere, this guy comes up that's a metal co collector. Said, hey, you getting rid of that? I go, God. You're amazing. <laughs> I'm going, uh, and so, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. And then, then I felt like, well, you know, I, I'm giving this to him too, so he can profit on, on mm -hmm. this thing that I didn't want. Yeah. And that's part of love too. So yeah. there was a, there was a two love. I mean, God was showing his love towards me, and I was giving this. Uh, and that, that guy, if he, if he associates love with God, he could go home to his wife or whatever and say, God was so good today. I was just driving along. There was this dude hauling a stove out. Now, if he doesn't associate love with God, he could go home and go, man, I scored, honey. It was awesome. I'm the luckiest guy that ever lived. And he could think it was all about him or, or something. You know what I mean? But did it change where it came from? And did it change what it was? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, um, all right, well, let, let me... So my, my, basic, uh, my basic point here is that the beginning and ending of this section attribute this to us. So Jesus did this. Okay, look. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour, okay, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to be uh, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Is that amazing or what? Think of the point in Jesus' life. He knows he's going to go back to the Father. But the road back to the Father includes arrest, abuse, betrayal, 
crucifixion, and death. Right? What he did was, and we talked about this when we went through these scriptures a little while ago, what he did was he actually put a towel around his waist to start serving the guys, but it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. This is Jesus' part of it. Here's the Father's. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So love is, is at the centerpiece of, if you want to call it, the ministry or the giving of both the Father and the Son. And so here's the parts I wanted to look at. He loved them to the end. God so loved the world that he gave his Son not to judge the world, but so the world could be saved. So this word end is one I want you to keep in mind as we cover a couple more scriptures because it it helps understand some of it. It's telos. uh, And it means uh, the point of time marking the end or duration, the last part in a process, the goal to which a movement is directed, the last in a series, and and to the end, finally complete, rest, outcome, destiny, close, and the finish. Now, we're going to run into this word and uh, very, very closely related tenses and, and derivatives of it when we talk about perfection. And one of the things that I think causes confusion when we think about love, especially when we get to the verse that says love perfected, is we see that as a state instead of the verb that it is or the process. And that's why I think it's important to understand what we looked at last week, that Paul said, let me show you a more excellent way. Love is a way. Love is a verb. And it's a verb that's always being acted on, acted out by God, not because he does love so well, which he does, but because he is love so thoroughly. Just like he is spirit. And I was thinking, okay, Lord, I don't have as much of a tendency to think that you just act like a spirit or whatever. I don't even know how that would be. You know, when, when, when the scripture says that he's spirit, I just assume he's spirit. And I understand that there's some expansion to that during the incarnation, but I, I don't think Jesus is not spirit. I think he's spirit and then he brought, you know, and then, so spirit, I think that way. Light. God is light. It's, it's possible to think of light as separate from God too, because there was God and the whole earth was in darkness and God said, let there be light. But in one way, he was saying, let me be. And as I've thought about that, as I've grown a little bit in the Lord in the last several years, as I've thought about that, creation takes on a whole new being. Because what God did is he didn't just create something utterly external. He created something that he was involved in. And he was involved in it by the way of light. Okay, so when God's light. I've thought a lot in recent years about the fact that God doesn't need to create external fires to do his bidding because he is fire, according to Hebrews 12. Our God is a consuming fire. Okay, So I, I don't want to get too far off track on that, but it's helped me to think about love is, is when God is love and he comes into a thing and he invests himself in the things of that thing, then love can actually make its way into our life and be something that we possess. And maybe that's the kind of love, Al or, or Dave, when, when we love because he first loved us, 
that that love actually becomes something that is a part of us and flows from us and is our possession. But because we're broken people, we can twist it. We can pervert it. But I think it helps us, especially like what I'm trying to do now, which is set us up to anticipate getting a big, giant deposit of love and of closeness to that love and of practicality in that love as we're bringing down out here. So anyway, that's what that means. And then interestingly, I want you to look at what sozo means because you guys all know. But sozo means to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, to do well, to make whole. That's another thing that I'm sure we'll hear from Dan at one point in the weekend because he's big on it. Look how similar the uh, translation it, it, things are. Uh, to be complete, to be finished, to be made whole, to be preserved, to be healed. All those things, they're very similar. Salvation is a kind of wholeness that is very much like love. And it's very much like the end or the teleos. It's a wholeness. Okay? So this that captured my attention, so keep in mind about that. All right. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God and everyone who loves. So I just now I'm just going to go through that section in 1 John, which is just the 21 verses. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then it goes on to say this. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, there's a word I want to concentrate on here. Most of you think it's propitiation. It is one of my favorite words, but I'm not going to get distracted down the rabbit hole about propitiation. The word I want you to see is this word. In. Be honest with yourself. When you read, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Did you think about it being manifested in you or to you or for you? When I read it, I plugged two in my head. This is how love was presented to us. This is how love was shown to us. That isn't what it says. The word is ain. This is how the love that God is ended up being in you, Jay, or in you, Holly, or in you, Tess. This is how love got in us. Well, now already that changes my paradigm of what my expectation is of this way, because it's not something that just follows after me like the goodness of the Lord does. That's a good thing. This got in me somehow. We are creatures made in God's image, carrying his essence in a way, something about it, the, 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 the nature of, of love, the existence of love. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Uh, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The only thing I'll say about propitiation is you can, you can take it from a Greek model where you have uh, a hostile king besieging a city, and you're going to appease that king with two chests of gold and 30 virgins which to me doesn't strike me at all like the redemptive story that God painted. Or you can take it back to the 300 times or so that the word hilasmos or that family of words is used in the Old Testament, and it always means the mercy seat, the gold lid to the ark, 
where that became a physical and spiritual place combined where men and God met and their sins were not the issue. Their sins were taken care of. That's what I think Jesus is, our propitiation. And that's why I think it, it can be in our heart. All right, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, this, Tim, brings out of me the questions, can I, or, you know, ought I, or something like that. No one has seen God at any time. Ronnie, I see that you've come online. This would have been a time where I would have expected you to jump up to the mic and say, hmm, but I don't have an answer for you, so <laughs> we'll just have to cruise over this one. <clears throat> uh, although he does say that. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... And this, let me ask you this, Jen. Is this more shocking than the other statement about it? In other words, if anyone that loves knows God and, and you know, is born of God. This says, if we love one another, God abides in us. Again, I'm not sure we think about that all the time. We're not just here talking about behavior. We're talking here about coexistence. We're talking about sharing in one another's life. When Peter talks about that we share in the divine nature, what if this is what he's talking about? What if he's talking about the God who is love, when we love, moves in and abides in us, remains in us, stays in us? There is more of a connection between the -the run-of-the-mill kind of love that a mother has for her baby, or maybe that you have for peanut butter. I don't know. But there's more of a connection to that and God than we think. It's not just a completely independent emotional thing that we tag that label love on. There's more. There's more to be exploited out of this. There's more to be understood out of it. There's more to be gained. There's more life to be gained. All right. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. So this goes back to that idea of security. How do we know? You know, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. But then we ask a couple of things, and it doesn't seem like it's being done for us. And all of a sudden, the big question comes, all right, well, am I with you? Am I abiding with you? Your word and me? There's all kinds of variables. This is this narrows the focus down a little bit. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us the Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, there's one word in here I want to concentrate on. It's the word perfected. Perfected is... The teleos love. It's a long version of it because it's a tense that puts it back, so on and so forth. Has a, has, it, 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 it's an action that's continuing and everything. Teleo, teteleomine. It's derived from the, the verb that we looked at, teleos, and it is to complete an activity, to overcome or supplement an imperfect state of a thing by one that is free of imperfection or lack to bring to full measure, to fulfill, or to make perfect. So look at what it says. Love is made perfect in us. Love comes to a state of completion in us. Love uh, finishes its course in us, the the completion of this thing. So the path of love has a place of completion, right? And it's in this. Now, That could also be, Alan and Dave, but particularly Alan on this one, that could also be why something that is genuinely love, maybe, at its core, gets so horribly off. Because it requires a process 
to go from what it is as God, what love is, what God is as love, to what we are as love. And so if there weren't a process, there wouldn't be a system called this, perfected. So we might be catching people at a very imperfect manifestation of love. But look at what the love is still. If you back up just three words from that purple or that blue perfected and his love perfected in us. So what I'm saying is if we're going to take a risk about love, what if we take a risk that love is of God? And that when we see the tiniest shred of love, We've got something to work on on seeing God. Alan? Um, one of the things that I've learned is you've to love a person, you've got to see them through Papa's eyes, their created value, and who he's created them to be, not what they're manifesting, but who he's created them to be. And when you, see, when you can see them through how he sees them, it's seen him through his eyes. That's what it is. And that's when you can truly love someone who is we would consider unlovable. And that goes back, Tim, to the question, can we just love anybody? Well, it depends on how we see them. So um, Katie Scourge, I don't know if you guys know her or not, but she has an, a, a ministry called Imago Day, and she teaches a lot about it using one of those big uh, crystal diamonds. And she has developed, because she teaches kids a lot too, she's developed this brown Play-Doh that looks like poo. And so she takes the diamond, and she, she has a diamond sitting here on a little stand. It's all beautiful, light reflecting. Then she takes the exact same diamond, and she wraps all this brown Play-Doh around it. And she asks the kids, she said, this is like poo. Ooh, that's like poo. And then she says, so you saw me. I mean, you saw that there's one of these in here, right? This is really who you are. This is... And it's, it's the Imago Dei. It's the image of God in you. This is really who you are. But she asks kids, all, all kinds of kids, all ages. She says, so which of these is more valuable? And almost inevitably they go, well, they're the same. They're the same. You just have to dig through the poo to get to this one. And a lot of us won't do that. And then she says, so how might this person who has this gem at their core. That's their true identity. How might they act with all this poo on them? Well, people are probably thinking that they're stinky and smelly and ugly. And so they'll probably lash back or fight back or be mean themselves. That's pretty brilliant. So I think maybe the answer is just emerging to the question. It totally depends on how you see and, and how we can see. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Tim was a bad boy. He didn't go to the mic, so you guys didn't hear that. But it was John fourteen twenty links all these attributes fully in us and with us in Christ and, and in the Father, and that's why we can believe this. So I'm going to zoom through because I want us to have time to worship. Um, all right. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. Now, this is the scripture I might use with that pastor's website that says there are seven or 11 things you have to believe. I go, well, what about this? I mean, I've even got people close to me in my life that doesn't that count for anything? 
I don't happen to believe exactly what you believe about two or three external things, but I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I think Jesus is the Son of God. You can't convince me otherwise. No. Uh, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know, and this is the verse that I want to really concentrate on. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Now, there's something about this verse that irritates the daylights out of me. And I really love this verse. I think it's one of the most important verses in the Scripture. I think it it points to probably the most important thing that you and I can do. And that is to believe, right? To take seriously the love of God. When we consider the path that is before us in love, when we sit down here next week to listen to Dan talk or to listen to to, uh, Catherine speak or whatever, we should be honing in on this love thing because that is God. But that word for, you know what the Greek word is there? It's aim. It's not for. It's in. Just like those are all in. Why do we do that? What is wrong with our theology and our self-image and our image of God that we cannot believe that we are in union with God? Not by our doing or merit, but that's what He came for. Look at what it says. We have come to know and have believed. Well, let me back up. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, the writer John was saying, God is in him, and he is God. Directly, directly from the revelation Jesus gave in John 14, 20. Directly. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. Where does he keep it? In his back pocket? Is it in a storage unit someplace that he's got to send an angel for? No. But, but do you see how, if we're not careful, the most important thing that is in existence between us and God is his presence as love, as light, as consuming fire, as spirit in us and us in him. That is what makes Christianity real. And we've reduced it because it was too real, apparently. Or maybe it was just a glitch or something. They had bad pizza and they got stuck in there in the translation. But the word clearly isn't for. There's other Greek words for for. It's in. But doesn't it? I mean, this is like one of the most egregious uses uh, or, 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 or non-translations of the word ain't I've ever seen because it's used like four other times in the same sentence. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. What? God is love, and the one who abides in love, aim, abides in God, aim theos, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Could it be that the reason so many of us are still wondering if we're going to get spanked unjustly or justly, we're going to get judged harshly, negatively, is because we're not sure where God keeps the love He has for us, when all the while it's in us. I think it's really, really important. 
Uh, I think this is, uh, and not just this one translation, I'm not trying to lay it at these guys' feet, but there's something about us that resists the reality that God is love and God is in me. There's something that's weird. Maybe it's the devil or something. By this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. Now, I come from a charismatic background that pulled that scripture out of this context and used it to try to whip up my aspirations, hope, and faith for a more powerful Christian life. It's connected directly to the fact that God is in me and God is love. And so I'm trying, and this is something else I want to look, because I think Dan's made this connection in his ministry and life for a long time, that it's about becoming love. And the path is set before us where you can be love at whatever degree you can be love, anywhere along that path, and you'll be in a perfecting system. That makes sense? So it doesn't have to be. Richard was, was love to a guy with a broke range. How dare we minimize that if we do? It's to our own hurt. Or when I was in, in um, Bible college and they were teaching about righteousness and our uh, depravity, things like that. We didn't talk about it. I mean, that wasn't a part of our, our essential theology. Um, that assembly's God. But they did talk about, you know, all our rights is like filthy rags. And I remember debating the issue that the love of a, a pagan mother for her child was completely driven by self-interest, and therefore it was completely unrighteous. I think that the people that teach that should have their, their mouth washed out with soap because they're taking something precious to God in vain. Worse than saying, damn it, or something. I really think so. I think we have really missed a very, very central issue because nobody reads this slowly. And when you do, you still got to dig through to find out if it really means in. But nevertheless, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. So look at these. So here's our perfect again. The point of time marking the end or of a duration, the last part in a process, the goal to which a movement is directed, the last in a series, the end, finally, complete, rest, outcome. There's a process that this path carries, the path of love, and it is a perfecting process where the love that God is becomes the love that we are. It becomes our love. And when we get the first inklings of it, maybe just by virtue of being made in his image, we can probably twist that every way from Sunday. But the more we stay on this path, the more we recognize when love intersects us, God's love intersects us and gets inside one of our interactions, like the thing with the range. There's something about that that transforms us. It changes us. It gets us to the end of the path or toward the end of the path. The end, finally complete, rest, outcome, destiny. Have any of you ever thought, when you think about your destiny and your call in your life, that your call is to become love like God is love? Yeah. 
Here's the last one. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And that's as direct as you could possibly be writing a religious document. He means no words. But look at, look at how it's okay to say that. We love because he first loved us. We don't have to generate love. It's not a duty that's been thrown our way. It's not a law that's been put on us. It's not a task that has been set before us. It acts like that because God has created this path and he's walking with us in it, pulling us along. Um, For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So before we reduce it just to an external command, I want to take the whole context of this. We love because he first loved us. God deposits himself in us. Remember, I will abide with them. They who love, I'll abide with them. He's in us. Jesus. And that day you'll know that I'm in my Father. You're in me and I'm in you. There's all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. Jesus said in another place, in John 15, I think, uh, uh, he said, because you love me, because you love me, the Father will abide in you. He'll move in with you. I used to think that was a condition. No, how could he not? I just understand. That's how it works. Here is Here I am, the complete representation of God, says Jesus, right? The, the, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being. If you accept me, you accept him. He who accepts me, accepts him. When he was talking about the little kid, he said the same thing. If you accept one of these little kids in my name, you accept me. And you don't only accept me, you accept the one that sent me. What do we have to do to do the work of God, Jesus? Oh, you have to believe in the one he sent. I think this is the key. So the opportunity to make progress down this path of love is to, is to love the brother in front of us, period. It's no more complicated than that. Just love. Now, what's at stake? And this is the final one. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his command, and his commandment is not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I would also usually pull this out of context and apply it to the situation we face in our country or something, which is, it's like super pathetic here. And we really need faith. But what it's linked to is loving the child that's born of him. And I think it goes back to him. How much can God help us see the person in front of us the way he sees them? And if we can see it, can we love them? Can we react to it? Now, we may not be able to do much because we may not have access to much in their life. But what we do have access to with our prayer, what we do have access to... So like I was disappointed. I had two instances where this comes into play. I was disappointed in some situations, and I, I was able, bless God, by grace, I think, to maintain a good, positive, hopeful attitude about that situation, even though it wasn't going the way I wanted, and I didn't think that it was being handled very well. So... I'm okay. Remember when Darla was teaching us about the breathing exercises and she said, count it all a victory, even if you just kind of go or something? So I'm going to take that as a victory. I stepped forward in that path to love. 
And then the other one was I found myself not willing to put myself out for somebody. Uh, a person sort of tangentially asked me for something, and I, I didn't have the bandwidth to give it emotionally. And I was, I felt a certain degree of shame afterwards for not doing it. And then I went to the Lord, and he talked me through that. And I still think I probably should have been in a position to respond yes instead of keeping silent. Because he who knows to do love and doesn't do it, you know, doesn't sound like a good thing. But I'm going to take that as a little bit of a victory as well. Understanding more deeply, more intimately what love is about and the ability to step forward on it. So that's that. The only other thing I wanted to finish up with is a reminder of what love is. Love is patient, kind. It's not envious. It does not boast. It does not bluster. It does not act in an unseemly fashion. It does not seek its uh, things of its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account an evil deed. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It tolerates all things, has faith in all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. And be sure when you rehearse this list and when you anticipate, say, Lord, give me more love. Let me walk this way. Give me patience. Give me the the ability to not seek my own. I don't want to hold a record of wrong. When you do that, make sure that you understand and consciously think that that's who God is too. That's how he treats you. That's how he thinks about you. That's how he acts towards you. Because this is not an independent task. This is a manifestation of our union and being united in his death so that we can be united in his life. That's what love is. Make sense? All right. So I want you to expect to be geared up next week in love.